Tom Chick, and to discuss the guest with you, I have brought along Christian Moronsky, I believe it is. Yes. Moronsky, my name's Moronsky. I've been here five years, and suddenly I'm the regional manager, and you're not. <laughs> and with a tagline for the guest, hopefully the one that uh, I got directly from him in person when we saw the movie, Kelly Wand. Uh, it's still a free cosmopolitan. Okay, well, not the one you... Uh, what was it? Impromptu. When it taps in or if you're a Paul Walker? Uh, it was something along those lines, yeah. Or something like the best Paul Walker movie since he died, I think it was. Ew, what? I I, tell you what, you're, you're the king of saying inappropriate things. I didn't say it. You said something along those lines. Hey, uh, this is my backup one. Okay. But with a backup tagline for the guest, Kelly Wand. What's the guest's favorite dance? The guest twerk. <laughs> that one took me a minute, but I actually got it, Kelly Wands. And believe it or not, I enjoyed it. Huh. That's true. I have the physical evidence of that. Uh, now, before we uh, discuss the guest, this week's feature is, uh, of course, an IMDb synopsis. Kelly Wand, is this from you or from a listener? It's from the IMDb. Awesome. What I is it? to the source, huh? like Ian. An exclusive golf course has to deal with a brash new member, an Irish pregnancy, and a destructive dancing gopher. Yep, it was the gopher that sealed the deal for me. That's obviously stripes. Yep. Mm. <laughs> See, the protagonist is the golf course, according to that sentence. Uh, and what led you to deal with it? What led you to the IMDb synopsis for Caddyshack this week? Anything? Uh, I was thinking I should go golfing because I saw someone in a cart, uh, like a rascal, roar by me. Do you golf often, Kelly Wand? Is that part of your? Uh... I golf often. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, when, when Kelly Wand isn't golfing, he has seen movies such as The Guest, um, which we won't spoil for you just yet. There will be spoilers momentarily. You probably haven't seen this. It had a very limited release. Um, so, Dingus, tell some folks about what this is, maybe just the bare essentials that might clue them into why they might want to see it um, or not. Uh, and then I'll take it from there, and, and we'll talk a little bit about the critical reception. All right. Well, this week we saw The Guest, Mm. a 2014 American psychological thriller movie. What? Uh, It was a movie, Kelly. Oh, okay, right. We saw it. Uh, About a soldier coming back from Afghanistan to keep his promises. What? It was direct... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the other one sounds a little unclear on some of the basics here. I was pretty baked at the beginning. I was lost for a long, a long time. It was, Just now, I mean. It was directed and edited by Adam Wingard mm-hmm. and written by Simon Barrett. It stars Dan Stevens, uh-huh. yeah. Micah Monroe, <laughs> Sheila Kelly. There's a lot of hotties. It's all hotties. Wall to wall. Well, then we get to that. Wall to bodies. Go on, Dingus. Brendan Meyer. 
Yeah, see, Kelly Wan, see what you've done? You made it gross. Go on, Dingus. And Leland Orser. Yeah, now you really made it gross. Anybody who's seen him in Seven knows how gross that is, Kelly Wan. That's right. Uh, The guest is rated R. Oh, yeah. For strong language, (laughs) strong violence, strong violence, some drug use, and a scene of sexuality. Wait, Kelly, okay. are you are you into this? <laughs> Stop spoiling things. Uh, that job's taken. The guest uh, had a very limited release, so let's not even bother with the box office. It's not that kind of movie. It was um, packed when we saw it, though. It, it was. We saw it with a Q and A with the director and the writer and two of the actors, not the ones I was expecting, but two <laughs> actors came out anyway. It's well, like, hey, the- we've got these two. Ah, <laughs> uh, oh, what about? We'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, but yeah, The Guest is a very limited release. I imagine it might open wider. It's probably headed... I probably should have looked into this. I suspect it's headed to a video-on-demand release shortly. Um, on Metacritic, which is the average rating from various reviews, The Guest is at 77. Mm. It's a fairly respectable number. On Rotten Tomatoes, which is the percentage of reviews that are positive, The Guest is at 93%. Jesus. Whoa! Yeah. Almost everybody, only 7% of critics were, critics were like, no, nah, we, we didn't like it. 93, yeah. loved it. Let's release it in one theater in the country. I wouldn't say loved it, Kelly Wan. That's just Rotten Tomatoes are just the percentage of reviews that are positive. doesn't Uh-oh. say anything about the degree of positivity, just no. that overall that they, they recommended it, I, I think. So Rotten Tomatoes is not like a heart. It's Rotten just... Tomatoes also doesn't really drive distribution uh, as far as the movie world goes, I'm afraid. Critics don't really drive distribution or box office take. I should warn you, Kelly Wand, if that's what you're looking for. Why don't we report it, and why is it even reported? You know what? Let's not. Forget that, then. Forget Rotten Tomatoes and Metacritic. Let's just go straight to the synopsis. Kelly Wand, I would like you... (laughs) Take that, Mass. Give us, right now, a gestopsis. Oh, I didn't have anything better than that. What are you going to do? I mean, really, what else can you do? Just the gopsis, but then it sounds like a Republican's joke. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You don't want that for this movie. Not, no, that's not what this movie's about. Yeah. It's about Afghanistan. <clears throat> the Gopsis. See what you just did? <laughs> this one's kind of short, but I'm like, I was like kind of editing it. You know what I'm saying? It happens. I'm trying to make these a little sharper. Because once they're out there, they're out there forever. You know? Like Afghanistan. <laughs> the Gopsis. <laughs> A guy's boots are running in some desert. See, right away, you can see the editing. Some words are all, the guest. The music's all, yep. I go out into the lobby and tell one of the ushers that my movie started, so now we're square. He seems busy, so I wave my ticket in his face till he nods and tells me number nine's quote on my right. I tug on his sleeve to tell him I know that already and ask him why he's wasting my time. By the time he eventually turns back to me, I've lost patience and head back for the movie. Once I get there, I've forgotten which theater it's in, so I go back and ask him. He directs me to my seat, but a bit snippily, so I flag down another usher and ask him to remind me to fill out a comment card later, adding that just between us, most of my observations will probably cast him and his co-workers in an unflattering light, and that contrary to my clothes hangery appearance, my opinions on things are held in pretty high esteem on some quarters of the Internet. I ask him if they have comment cards. He says he doesn't know. When I finally stumble back to someone else's seat, the movie's still going. An on-screen scarecrow looks at me. The music's all, gotcha again. 
Also, the scarecrow probably represents something. <laughs> when I moved to Vancouver, I learned that even in Murders of Two, crows are scarier than scarecrows. In fact, up there, they pretty much use scarecrow straw to make their nests out of. Shouldn't we stuff scarecrows with something other than the one thing birds use for architecture? In the movie, Paul Walker's on a porch telling a mom he was in their army with a son. The mom's all... <laughs> A little IMDb crept in, I guess. The mom's all, okay, live in his room till the war's over. They already have a son living there, but it's a different one. <laughs> See, Dingus editing. I've learned it. There's also a daughter. When he comes out of the shower with a dry waxed chest and a hard-on sticking out of his towel, she offers to make him a mixtape. The guest's name is David, which, as we know from AI, Prometheus, and the Bill Bixby Hulk, means <laughs> secretly a robot. <laughs> it was a secret Prometheus, wasn't it? We weren't supposed to know that. The guest teaches the daughter how to properly carry kegs, the son how to chug a cosmopolitan, and the dad's seatbelts. The black dude from The Wire is an FBI major who taught the guest all that stuff, just like Arabana taught Hannah how to shoot cameras. He wants to arrest the guest. The guest buys a trunk full of guns, even though he only needs the grenades for his diner. How do people get a hold of traveling gun salesmen? Movies always make shit seem so easy. Robbing the blind, owning a cell phone, getting a date, driving off a cliff... The daughter character tries to tell her parents that they're in a horror movie called The Guest, but they're not convinced. Unfortunately, the son character thinks they're in a movie called The Son Character Just Meets a <laughs> Friend. <laughs> the music doesn't say anything. A bunch of stuff in a mirror happens. I lean over to Dan Stevens and whisper, Oh, is your character evil? I guessed so. When the lights come up afterwards, I discover that my seatmate wasn't Dan Stevens. The newspapers all. Halloween 2 ending declared savior of the city. The end. Thank you, Kelly Warren. Just a quickie. Short, sweet, to the point, and uh, some some very strong laughs. Thank you very much. Because I wanted to talk about the movie. I didn't well, time. really, what, uh, like more so than other movies that we see? Most of them. What uh, struck you about this movie that made you want to talk about How it? How fucking awesome it was. Really? Just just flat yeah. out, that's where you're going to go. I didn't know that dude was British. Oh, <laughs> uh, there's one moment where he said something about, I would do anything for your family. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I was like, oh, wait a minute, are we supposed to know? Is he secretly British? Or it didn't occur. I didn't, I didn't know he was a British. Sure. Yeah, but he's supposed to be from Kentucky, and isn't that how they, how they say anything there? No, no, that was definitely his, because I, I didn't, I mean, he had this cool, brittle voice that I think some English actors get when they're doing American accents. Um, but I, I didn't suspect until I heard that one twist on the word anything. Um, um, thing is, did you know he was a Brit? Uh, no. I, in fact, I didn't even recognize him uh, You know, w- until I looked up his IMDb, and, and then I remembered him from Downton Abbey, which I was... It's like when I once I over you know that thing that you do where you where you go oh that guy and then you mentally overlay the face on the other character um, I was like oh that was that guy from Downton Abbey I can't believe oh. that he's this totally buff dude in this after he was that guy in Downton Abbey I mean I mean it's a, it's a great character transformation I it's love flat, that, to that. point out yeah so it's, it's totally uh, Kelly that's great that's a great analogy he's totally Chris Pratt I mean 
uh, this, he was sort of this doughy, uh, sort of ineffectual. In Downton thing. Abbey? Really? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and I remember him. I only saw the first season of Downton Abbey. I really liked it. But then the, the instant watch ran out on it and I never got, I never caught up with the second season. But, uh, but I can totally see his face and he, geez, he's leaned up and buff and he's totally just razor sharp in this. And it's just mm-hmm. so funny to look back at that. But, uh, but until that, I think it might have been the same line that you heard, Tom. I didn't know he was a Brit at all. Yeah. Well, you 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 left the room because during the Q and A, the first thing I did was raise my hand and said something. You know, the 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 movie kind of hinges on Dan Stevens' performance. Where did you find this guy? Because I had no idea who he was. And Adam Wingard just said, "Hey, I saw him on Downton Abbey." Oh, I missed that. Yeah. I did too. You Holy asked a question. Oh, I, I will hog Damn questions until the cows come home. And they did uh, you really do that at the beginning I of the missed, when I was yeah, out yeah, of the film. Yeah, I think that I missed a Tom uh, question. That's the very first thing uh, I did. And, you know, he made some joke about, oh, I had him over to my house for a hot audition. Or, but then he basically just said, yeah, I saw him on Downton Abbey, and I, yeah, I Skyped him for an interview and then cast him. Holy uh, cats, I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, man, I wish I wouldn't have gotten well, it just room. That made me assume, then, that he was, like, super cool on Downton Abbey, too. Uh, because it is so instrumental, too. And I, I'm with Kelly Wan. This movie is fucking awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, uh and and, it, and and largely because of him, because of what he's doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so real quick, Dingus, are you as psyched about it and as Amber. we are? Or are you going to be the wet blanket? Uh, I'm going to be a little. Uh, I'll be a little damp because uh, it, because I'm a, a little disappointed with some things that happened. Uh, oh, but but I'll be happy to talk about that later. But let's hear right. you guys wax poetic first. Well, I I mean it's it's largely this fella, this mm-hmm. the, the Dan Stevens playing David, uh, his performance, and he has it, great lines though. You got to give Woodgard and his writer. You got to get well. Here's what here's what I realized. Woodgard and his writer. Woodgard and his writer. Okay, Kelly, what's the writer's name? Something Barrett. Right? Simon Barrett is the Simon writer. Barrett. Adam Wingard is the director. Here's what you got to give them due for. Uh, I, I'm thinking of the, the commonality, like they, when they're when they're sort of faffing about on ABCs of death or VHS or whatever. That's all just fun and games, and that that form, that short form of horror, that anthology stuff. That's something completely different. But what 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 I want to talk about, like when I think of this movie as part and parcel of a horrible way to die, which they also wrote and directed, and your next, they also wrote and directed, and the guest, they also wrote and directed. Not only do you give the lines credit, Kelly Wand, the lines, the direction, and, in all three cases, the cast. Mm-hmm. I mean, these guys know how yep. to cast. These guys know, yeah, they gave Dan Stevens great lines, they shot him, they lit him well, mm-hmm. um, but they found him. You know, They found the supporting actors to play the mother and the father. They found the two kids for this. I thought the daughter was really good. Yep. Uh, certainly the cast of A Horrible Way to Die. Um, absolutely the cast of Your Next. They even got a little A.J. Bowen in here, you know, that, mm-hmm. that goes a long way, a little A.J. Bowen, even if he's shaved. Um, it's one of those movies where right afterwards you can't wait to start separating who you'd recommend it to and who you wouldn't recommend Oh, so maybe not Dingus because he's going to be a little bit of a wet blanket. Well, he – I want to hear his reasons, although I'm surprised because he usually goes – he was – like Dan Stevens played kind of the Dingus character or, or the kid was. <laughs> but uh, I mean, usually Dingus is a soft touch when there's like a really good performance on the table. So I'm surprised that he didn't adore. Oh, we'll, we'll get to his wet blanketing in a minute. Uh, so you, um, y- you mentioned the lines, especially. You tend to be a stickler for writing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you were happy with the script here, with the dialogue. Yeah, and all. 
Good. Okay. I think it maybe jumped the shark a little bit towards the end, only because it was less. It's kind of like Evil Dead Two, where after a while you just. It, I think the movie exhausts. It's, it, it's probably the weakest part of the movie. Yep. Like it sort of just resolves. Yep. Um, but Lance Reddick was in the Q and A too, and the two things he said, my two favorite quotes by him afterwards, <laughs> were: "While we were shooting this, I thought it was a serious drama." Oh, that's so awesome! <laughs> I am so crazy about that. That made it work, and those guys are geniuses. They directed Lance Reddick. Like you're, you're in a serious drama. Like if they told him that, that just goes to show. Well, the, no, that he, he. That's what you want. I mean, yeah. that is exactly what you want. If you're if you're making a comedy and you write a serious character. Uh, you want that that actor to yeah. think that he's in a different movie. It's it's you know uh, you know I I, I kind of as he was saying that I kind of had to flash back to this ridiculous thing you did during a three by three where you said well it's alien because they don't know they're in a horror movie which right. I love because they shouldn't and he shouldn't know he's in that different movie. Yeah, and that's what that actor should do. And the first time he saw it, he was like I didn't like it, and then I watched right. it again and I finally got it. Even when he read the script, he didn't get it because he was understanding the movie from his character's point of view, and that's perfect if you're a writer and a director. You want yeah. that serious actor not to get the movie and not to play it that way. I mean, I love that. I love it. It was so charming. His other quote I really liked was he goes, I've been told this was by the same director and writer of Your Next, and that one was good. <laughs> <laughs> I like that quote, too. Oh, that's so great. But he said something like, you guys recut it, and suddenly it's amazing. Like he said, I think he said something like that. Too. Yeah, he did. And then and they then, said they didn't recut it. Right. He just oh, really? same cut. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he um, said, you guys, you must have recut hurts. it. And Adam said, no, I didn't. <laughs> See, you need uh, – Lance Reddick didn't need to see the forest. So I have questions. This this almost never happens. Um, I actually had to leave to use a restroom at one point, and it was it was dying. Like I, I I'm so good normally, but I I just I, it it was just there was no choice. I was just gonna have to walk out of the movie. So I was trying to carefully place what I was gonna miss. I thought it was just gonna be an action sequence. Instead, I come back. It turns out I'd missed exposition. So. What was the deal? Like, he was a soldier? Why was he... What was he doing? All right, when exactly did you... Do you remember when you left? Because you left at a key moment. I remember that. Because we, we went... We more or less all went to see it together. But when... Do you remember exactly when you left? Because you left right I just need before to know the assault what he was doing. on the house, well, right? Job. Yeah, yeah, the assault on the house. And I stayed in, you know, sort of... Oh, well, I'll watch a little bit of the scene, and then there's going to be some wind down afterwards, and I can miss that. Um, but what what was his objective? So he was a soldier who was part of a program. What was he doing? What well, was his... really, there's not much more than that, Tom. I mean, other than understanding that, and you find this out later, that his his prime directive is to protect himself, and he will eliminate all of the things. But why and was he there in Kentucky? I, I did, no, he wasn't. They're not in Kentucky. I mean, wherever they are. They were shot in New Mexico. I'm assuming. Right. They, yeah. They're, they're in that. they're in New Mexico. He's just, uh, you know, I, I think I don't think you miss anything as far as that's concerned. It's just there's there's this weird sort of secret soldier thing, this program where they've done neurological tests on them, they've changed them, that that has changed them, and they sent them to Afghanistan as part of this squad. He's just on the run, and that's just where he's at. Like, well, he, I think he comes back to do what he says he's going to do for Caleb or Casey or whatever his name is, um, and then. So he's going to actually. So that's sincere. This idea of wanting to protect the family on behalf of his his comrade. Well, just take care of them. He, he promises okay. he's going to do that. But but when it comes to, I mean, were you there for the mother getting killed? 
Yes. All right. So so he's like when he when he does that he says I know that he would agree with me doing this. It it's that the the prime directive is take care of your own identity. Or you know, to, to if there's go, if there's something that's going to supersede that, I then see. do that. But I'm going to take care of all of these other things in the interim. So, and but he's also, you know, with that cell phone talk about changing his face, changing his fingers, and uh, getting rid of the dental work, the things that he's in the doctor on the call to the doctor. He's trying to change his overarching thing is to change his identity. Okay, like, so he's trying to escape, and on the way to his escape, he does want to fulfill this obligation to exactly. his brother in arms, but it goes wrong, and in order to protect himself, he's going to have to. Renege on that obligation. So he goes Hal, okay. rogue in the. Well, no, I don't think he goes Hal. I think it's just like another level of. He can take care with quote marks around it. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll do as many of these things as I can, but when it, but my prime directive is to, you know, as I've been programmed to protect my identity. Okay. Are those his boots at the beginning? Oh, you didn't see that part. Yeah, we did. No. Yeah. Oh, okay. His boots. Yeah, where he's running. Yeah, no, it's just, oh, just when he's running. Yeah, running yeah, 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 yeah. To, the, to the house. Yeah, because right. he um, runs all the way there. Yeah. Well, here's so Dingus. I presume what the the Q and A was eh, it was fine. Like, uh, and Dingus, you said a, a lot of these Q and As you don't get. They're only as good as the people asking the questions. Yeah. When you throw the questions open, I'd say handled mine. It got went downhill. Well, when, when you throw <laughs> the questions open to the general audience, you get people like the one guy was wanting to have a dialogue about I forget like the editing process or um, yeah. and another guy's like uh, I would like each of you to tell me your favorite thriller. Oh right, right, exactly. Uh, Kelly, one, uh, I'm trained press. I know what questions to ask. See, I've had lots that of guy from down. Oh, he was on the show. I never watched. <laughs> right. <laughs> Where did you find that dude? Where'd you find that? Was he a buddy of yours? Uh, um. So. Uh, oh. Uh, was there was there anything else? You said you got a couple of useful things from the Q&A, Dingus, because I wanted to bring up something that I really enjoyed. But first, was there anything else from the Q&A that you got that, that really uh, helped you or changed your appreciation or anything like that of the movie? Uh, well, the thing that I really loved about the Q&A is going to be totally silly. Uh, but I, I really liked uh, the kid Brendan Meyer, who plays the younger brother in the movie. Luke. I liked him a lot. I liked his comic timing. Um I, I liked the way he dealt with it. I, mean, I, I thought that some of the they they kind of overused a couple of his jokes, but I think that happens a lot in the movie. But I really really liked that kid, and as and I didn't know what I knew him from. And one of the things I liked about the Q and A was the revelation. I would have found this out from digging in IMDb, but it was fun to watch uh, Adam Wingard say it, and then Brendan Brendan Meyer sort of. Uh, cop to it is that he's this uh was in this canadian like kids show called mr young which uh, which i know my my kid has watched because my kid watches a lot of these insipid like uh disney shows that pop up on instant view on netflix and it's it's basically like a Dugger, doogie hauser like the, this super smart kid wanders into middle school and he has to teach classes because he's super smart uh and and when, as soon as he said that it clicked for me it's like oh you know, I, 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 this isn't a movie I can take my kid to, but hey, this is an actor that my kid knows, so that was kind of an enjoyable moment for me. Um, otherwise, that, like listening to people say, "What's your favorite thriller?" and and watching poor Brendan Meyer have to go, "Well, I, I watched The Shining during this, and I guess The Shining uh, was kind of it's kind of difficult to watch them stumble through those types of things." There's no reason. I mean, it, it really it doesn't bother me, but I really there's no reason to trot actors out there of that caliber that. 
caliber. But to, to trot these supporting actors out there when really it should be the director and the writer speaking. I mean, that's yeah, I, I saw all that as a, as a way. Well, that's right. But fun. I guess the audience wants to see that sort of thing. Yeah. And yeah, they're charming, I guess. But and he's there. as a guy who's seen a movie and he wants to talk about the movie and hear about the movie, you know, I would want to talk to, to Adam Wingard and Simon Barrett. Um, and they had the cinematographer in the audience. I mean, have that. Right. I would rather have that guy. Yeah, it looked good. I love it, man. I love the '80s look and the '80s sound of this. Especially mm-hmm. having seen that short you you had me watch. I mean, it looked gorgeous, and I would rather hear the person who did the music. I would have to rather hear any of the technical people right. than than have two uh, middle actors have to sort of stumble through and f- and feel embarrassed and feel like. I mean, it's it's embarrassing for me to watch them do that. I mean, they they acquitted themselves just fine, and I like that Lance. That thing Lance said, but Tom is absolutely right. I'd rather have technical people tell me technical stuff. Well, at one point they said something about uh, – Adam Wingard said something about it being the, the inverse of Halloween. Um, this idea that – and this clearly plays on the slasher movie. I'm sorry? I didn't understand that because I don't know Halloween. Oh, uh, Halloween is uh, not the first slasher movie. There's, there's a couple things that predate it, but it's basically – if you could say that Night of the Living Dead is the first zombie movie, Halloween would be the first. It started the genre too, because started the genre. But there's things like Black Christmas and um, that came after, I, though, didn't it? Black Christmas, yeah. Um, maybe the there's also like Peeping Tom. I think you could make an argument that that's a first slasher movie, but but Halloween did sort of codify it. Um, and and Halloween is just Michael Myers uh, stalking a babysitter on Halloween night. He's a guy in a mask. You find out he's escaped. Uh, actually, you see at the beginning of the movie, he escapes a mental institute, and he goes back to the, the city that he's from, and he just tries to murder people. Um, and I believe in the later movies, they retcon this idea that Jamie Lee Curtis yeah. is his sister. Um, it is the second one. It happens right up front. Yeah, and that's in the and that's where the that song, The Sandman, that I played at the head of the show comes in. Um, so this is the inverse of Halloween, in that in Halloween... Michael Myers is always this blurry figure in the background. You know, you see the main characters in the foreground, and there's a figure in the background, and when they turn to look, he's gone. And then he comes up and he murders them every now and then. Uh, He kills teenagers. You know, it's a slasher film. That's what it does. Uh, He kind of represents chaos and madness, and he breaks out of an insane asylum and murders people. Early classic John Carpenter. uh, And it sort of, as Kelly Wan said, it it founded the the genre of of slasher movies. It's scary, too. I'm not sure why, because it's really cheap. Uh, and I think the uh, what Wingard's point was about this being the inverse, what he said is that here, instead of Michael Myers being a blurry presence in the background, he is your buddy. He's there in the foreground with you. <laughs> he's fun. And he's, 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 his face, you know, there's no mask, although, you know, Dan Stevens does some great mask-like stuff with his, his expressions. But it's his face. He's a handsome guy. He's your friend. He will help you. Uh, he's, he's kind. He's conscientious. He is insightful as to what you need. Um, whereas, uh, and this is me drawing on what Wingard said. Um, whereas uh, Michael Myers is the force of madness and chaos. He comes from order and programming and government in the military. Uh, he kills parents. Um, in, the, in most slasher films, only the teenagers get killed. Um, so I, I see this as this kind of weird anti-Halloween, where instead of the Michael Myers figure being a monster, it's, you're, it's like a character out of My Bodyguard or something. Um, it's, it's almost like a Coraline, you know, be careful what you wish for. 
these, these wonderful things you want in your life that, that come in these beautiful packages, they might be terrible. They might, there might be something insidious about them. Um, and so that's, that's the, that's, I think, how I mostly appreciated this is an inverse of the normal slasher formula. Michael Myers didn't spare parents, though. So that he, yeah, in the first one, I thought he only killed. He didn't kill uh, Donald Pleasance. Well, we don't know if he's a. He wanted to. I thought he wanted to, but I thought he only killed the babysitter, the babysitter's boyfriend. Yeah, but uh, there were just no parents. Right, didn't seem to give a shit about him. Right, they weren't around. Yeah, but well, here the only. I thought it was odd. The only people that got killed here were the parents. Um, yeah, even though the son gets the waitress killed. The son. Oh, oh, the uh, right. Oh, you know what? That's a fair point, right? But as far as the immediate family here, yeah, uh, no kids get slashed. As far as the the main characters here, um, their deaths are set up though too, because he goes sure wear your seatbelt, stuff like that. Did you like this movie more than your next? And I also want to hear why Dingus didn't like it. No, 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 no. Your next, I think, is way. Uh, it, it, part of one of my problems too. Your next is. The structure of your next is it goes from very serious and very dire to the humorous part. Like your next puts you on the hook and makes you wriggle there and be uncomfortable, and then it lets you off. This movie is trying, and I'm, I don't think it's nearly as effective, to go from being funny um, and kind of more lighthearted and charming to being more serious and shocking. And Kelly Wan, when you said it kind of runs out of steam, I think I agree with you. Uh, so the very structure of your next, I think, makes this better than. Um, yeah, your next never runs out of ideas all right, the way right. through. And that progression from serious to funny, I think, works far better than this movie's progression from more sort of mysterious to dire to as dark. a set. Yeah. Although there's a lot of funny shit in this movie. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. So, Dingus, what were some of your reservations? Why, why wouldn't you say it's effing awesome like me and Kelly Wan said? Uh, basically, you guys just laid it out. Uh, what I was going to ask you is, um, do you think of your next as an homage or a send-up of slasher movies? How do, how do you look at that? I don't think either of them. I don't think this or your next is a, is a send-up. In that, uh, okay, so maybe I'm missing homage. So I think they're uh, both homages. Yeah. Okay, so they're both homages. I, I would totally agree with that. So, uh, so my uh, self-aware sort of, ones. I guess. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, so, so my. Um, uh, my, I, I really, really liked it. So, but my reservations are, I think, a little stronger in what you two just uh, broke down about the difference between this and your next. And with a little bit of extra, uh, uh, I don't know. This is a little unfair, but I, there's a little bit of that sort of Django Unchained thing that I had. That, um, you know, are you going to really follow? an homage with another homage? Can you make another movie? Are, are you going to do a slasher homage and then you're just going to do an 80s action homage with a thumbs up at the end? Because that that kind of ruins it for me a little bit. If you're going to do a Terminator 2 joke at the very end of your movie and that's how you're going to end your movie, when I already understand that you're sort of doing a Carpenter thing and then you're going to say that in the Q&A, it kind of... If this is the movie that you come out with... I think I would really love it, but if your next is the movie right before it, I can't ignore that. I mean, you've already done an homage, and you're going to do your very next movie is another homage. I, I kind of get that Django Unchained feeling that I got. It was like, well, make something of your own. Don't don't just do an homage. Do something else. And, it's not a straight homage, though. It's like a, they're riffing on it. Uh, explain what you mean, Dingus, by a Django Unchained thing. Oh well, my my one of my main objections about Django Unchained is like is 
is to say to Quentin Tarantino, make your own movie at last. I mean, you've you've done your Jackie Brown, you've done uh, you've done you're, you're riffing on movies. That's all you've done for your career. Uh, how about making your own movie and make something? just original instead of just riffing on things. Uh, you do it expertly, you're brilliant at it, but by the time we get to Django Unchained and you're doing it for three hours and I'm getting tired of it, um, it this isn't in the same thing. I'm just making sort of a slight right. analogy to right. it, but but my problem with Django Unchained is that you, I, look, I've seen, all, I've seen all these things. You, you just make your own movie already. Can do you have your own idea? That's and a so, fair point, that this is tough to follow. You know, if you, if you go into this thinking, okay, this is how they're going to top your next. Uh, I think you're invariably going to be disappointed. Yeah, I'm yeah, with you there, Dingus. Yeah, yeah, and and that's that's certainly fair enough. Um, and uh, yeah, but the, but the, but by the same, you know, along the same lines, I watched your next, and then I watched a horrible way to die, um, and I love that. I mean, and it's not, it doesn't feel like it's, do, it's doing anything but what it's doing. Uh, so it didn't top your next, but I certainly thought it was awesome. Um, and so for this, you know, especially since I hear, you know, they, they finished this uh, right as they, uh, or they, they finished photography on this right as your next came out. I kind of, and, and to be honest, the, the two of them kind of have a weird, they, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I just felt like as I watched it, I, I was getting the jokes, but I was kind of feeling like there was something missing. And as I did writing about it afterward, I was just one and I was trying to write through and I would write and I would go lie down for a bit and I would write some more. I'm like, why does your next work for me? Totally. I mean, your next is a, a knockout of the park. It was on my top 10 list. And why does the guest not quite get there is it the i mean i think dan stevens is awesome i really love brennan meyer i liked most of the cast uh i think everybody does a great job why does it not quite get there for me is it just not as good as your next and i'm not being fair to it i don't know it just doesn't quite i don't know what to say well it's certainly slighter uh in that it's yeah, not yeah yeah you know there's no there's none of the sleight of hand with you know the central mystery in your next is what the heck kind of movie am i watching the central mystery in um, in the guest is who is this guy, and it turns out oh he's a super soldier. <laughs> you know that's right. that, that's kind of uh, the the level of reveal is much more modest. Um, and they also kind of it's much more reliant on him completely. I think like everyone else is just sort of backing him up. And your next is well, well your next well. takes a while. Like again, your next has this great reveal where you realize oh Sharni Vincent is the main character, right? Right. And, and right. she kind of bubbles to the surface and earns it. Um, here he's put in our lap from the, the you know from the beginning of the movie is this is the guy we get to watch again there's no discovery about what kind of movie is this going to be who's going to be the lead character you know there's none of that and that's a brilliant thing to do to an audience and certainly we as jaded moviegoers we love that um, so when we have Dan Stevens put in our lap yeah it's a pretty package and that's fine but it's not nearly as thrilling as, as trying to pick out, wait a minute, which one of these cast members is going to be the awesome one at the end of the movie who I didn't even know existed before? Yeah. And, and, you know, I think that the, the moment now that you – the moment where the movie kind of changed, like, years for me, so it, so it went from a four to a three or whatever, is the moment that we go into this weird government building, which totally works in Cabin in the Woods because it starts there. Um 
But the moment we go into this weird government building with uh, – what's his name? Lance – I forget his name. I apologize. Lance right? Reddick and A.J. Bowen. Thank you, Lance Reddick. Um, once we get into that, I, I start to feel like I'm watching The Fringe or, some, or, or X-Files. I feel like I've shifted into a TV show about the government. And, and, I, and rather than having like black SUVs show up like from the Transformers movie – Yeah, I, I we wish, got Titus Welliver too. Right. I kind of wish we would have stayed in the world of this town uh, rather than having black vehicles from the government show up and, and it being this government conspiracy that we're obvious about and that we've gone to a government building. Because once we went to that government building and Lance Reddick is doing those lines about make something up, get me a – charter me a jet. I feel like I'm I'm watching The Fringe all of a sudden. I don't feel like I'm watching this really cool movie because I don't think your next ever goes away from this to Washington D.C. or something. And I yeah, really yeah. I really like I really loved where we were. I love that that house in New Mexico and that all of it's in this house and this little diner and this sad little like party that we're going to and then this rock quarry or whatever that was. I love that all of it was contained. And then once we went to D.C., I I felt like oh yeah we've shifted into a TV show. In fact, uh, we, we got a rinky-dink gunfight out of it. I was not super yeah. impressed with the, the gun. The it winds up not mattering. Well, I think the idea is supposed to be that, oh, you can take out the badass government agents, so what chance do the unlikely teams have? I, I always love it, though, and, and Running Scared did this, and it did it so well. I love it when a movie has the balls to end in something like a haunted house, like a dippy little haunted house like that. You know, Running Scared <laughs> ended in a, in a, a, tombstone. a skating rink with like uh, with purple light, um, what are other movies like? Well, yeah, or when you run into Your a carnival step? or a, a far, or a fun house or something. Uh, so I, I loved that it did that, uh, and with the the fog and stuff. I mean, it was such an '80s deal again, too. Such an, a nod to '80s slasher movies and that weird throbbing music and the weird oh fog. God, yeah, yeah, I love that. Yeah. Music. And I'm like, how do I get out of here? I'm an agent for the something something trying to get David Bench. <laughs> left, left, right, right, right. right. Come yeah. on, that's good. That's a. I can't not like it. I can't not like it less than your next. I can't like pick one, even though I know your next is everything you guys are saying. It's true. Fair enough, Kelly Wand. Fair enough. It's too adorbs. <laughs> uh, so can someone explain to me? So uh, Leland Orson. Wait, is that his name? Dingus, the actor who plays the father. Uh, Leland Orser? Yeah. Um, I've always been confused about this. Maybe this isn't the time to bring it up, but, you know, it's the time to bring it up. So in Seven, he's one of the guys who does one of the terrible, like, Seven Sins thing. I think he's Lust. And is he, like, fitted? I was never clear on what the deal his deal was in the movie Seven. Can one of you guys explain it to me without being too graphic? Yeah, he has to. He goes into one of these uh, sex clubs, and um, and the uh, John Doe uh, once once that guy goes in to have uh, relations with one of the girls in the sex club, he uh, John Doe puts a gun to his head and says, "You have to strap this on. You have to do this, or I'm going to kill." And what's the this? This is a strap on that is a blade. Instead of uh, instead of a yeah. usual strap okay. on, That's so it's I... so it's this super weird blade like that he has Thursday. to strap on. He refuses to do it, but the guy puts a gun to his head and says, "You have to do it." And so either I kill you or you do this to her. You 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 do this to her with this blade, or I kill you. Yeah, yeah. Sorry to bring the room down. Can I ask a question now that we've done that? I guess so. 
Um, it, it relates to blowjob shots, um, <laughs> which I've never heard of. Uh, if if his if uh, Dan Stevens is if David's prime directive is not to be re- remembered, uh, why does that bar scene exist? <laughs> well, it's I think that's one of the things that yeah I mean he he really does want to uh, you know do good help by his comrade in arms and help the kid yeah. Uh, right, but when he leaves at the end out of the diner, he rolls the grenades in, and he's like, see you, everybody. Nobody can remember I came here. But when he leaves the bar, he's like, this is what you will remember, and that's it. And then he leaves, but he's not protecting his identity. Well, so he hasn't some- shot anybody at the bar. Yeah, he doesn't think that it's going to get out of hand yet. I think. Yeah, it's just yes, a bar that's brawl. My guess. Yeah. All right, so it's just, just a bar brawl. All right. Yeah. It seems like a strange choice if he's trying to protect his identity. And that's I think what if he's trying like. to protect his identity, frankly, he just needs to be a lot less sexy. One, two, three, not only with me, got 180 and I'm caught in between. One, two, three, Peter Everybody loves you already had your line about Thursday. Don't think I didn't hear that. Um. <laughs> When I come out of the shower, I always wrap the towel around my face so I can show my cats that they're missing. Uh, right, sorry I didn't wait for that. <laughs> Think of that. It's true. Kelly Wan, let's do a three by three. Right. Look at this. Acceptable alternative to my gibberish. This week's three by three is uh, terrible things that happen in hotel rooms or motel rooms. We won't. We won't. I won't be pulling out any three by three cop badges on, on that distinction. Um, hotels. Uh, didn't we take one off the table? I forgot. Uh, alien. Yes, we didn't. Uh, hotels are historical <laughs> sites where uh, there are embarrassing sexual escapades, or deals go wrong, <laughs> or they're noted for their their transience, their uh, ephemeral quality. Nobody lives in a hotel. Lots of good and bad things pass through them. What I want are your picks for Blade terrible strap. things. That, was that in a hotel? Uh, no, it was like a sex club. No, it was an RL. Yeah. It's an underground uh, sex club, yeah. Six um, so uh, let's see. Uh, who started? Kelly Wan, why so, don't you start us out? Yes, Dingus. No, I would be. I would, uh, Kelly did poop last week, so I think. Remember? I so, first. Dingus, why don't you start us out with your number three pick for a horrible thing that happened in a hotel room in a movie? All right, so this is a, a, you know, uh, I I don't think I'm going to be using the word terrible in the way you dudes might be, Um, (laughs) uh, because these uh, these things, except for maybe my number one, uh, but these are these are things that seem terrible to me. Um, So here's a quote from it, Uh, Mr. Anderson. Mr. Anderson, is this your Burgundy '98 out here? That's from the Matrix. It is not. Uh, it is from the movie Fargo, and it's the very end of the movie Fargo. Uh, and this is one of the first things mm-hmm. I thought of. And this is uh, the cops <laughs> finally coming to get. Um, yeah, it's finally coming terrible. to get. Finally coming to get William H Macy, um, and they knock outside. And Mr. Anderson, and you hear this voice inside. And this is after his interview with with Marge, and he flees the interview. And uh, and and they're like Mr. Anderson. And he's like, who? And they, is this your '98 out here? Uh, give me a minute. Just give me a minute. Um, and the cops go in, and that and really, it's it's a scene that takes place in less than a minute, and and the terrible part takes place in less than 30 seconds. And and it's him trying to. 
he's being, he's about to be arrested for the murder for the hired murder of his wife. This horrible thing, this culmination of the movie Fargo. And the reason for me it's terrible is just the way William H Macy is screaming like this animal is just being trapped. It's just so horrible. And uh, yeah, and he's he's in his boxers. He's trying to climb out the back window. The the cops pull him in. They throw him on the bed. You see his clothes sadly draped over the, and you see that that the, the bedclothes are all rumpled because he's been sleeping in this sad little motel room. And I think it's Bismarck. I, I tried to find. I only could find one of the motel room. Uh, one of the names. I only named one of the motels, and this is just. I, I think this one I I I, I saw as just being uh, outside of Bismarck, North Dakota. I think that's all it's it's listed as. And so, and they throw him on the bed. The two cops wrestle him down. They cuff him. They and he's just screaming like this. It, it's just this this inchoate. It's like oh, I just I can't believe this is happening. I can't believe it's all come down to this. And it's this terrible moment for me where he's being taken off to jail for the hired murder of his wife and this whole series of events that he's made happen, basically because of greed. Um, and so it's a tiny little scene. It's not a whole lot of gore, but it's a terrible moment. For I don't me. want to spoil anybody else's picks, but it wouldn't be a Coen Brothers movie without something terrible happening in a hotel room. Ah. Kelly Wand, what's oh. your number three pick? See, that was just too many, though, so they all cancel each other out. So my number three is um, in The Shining, when Jack's in the hotel room, 237, with the old lady. I've been on that date, but it's her. And they're always like, what am I fucking... Uh, that's actually my number three pick as well. But what I did with my list is <laughs> I didn't do – my list is all um, uh, sexual escapades gone wrong. <laughs> that's, well, like, that qualifies. I didn't want – it definitely qualifies. I didn't want – you know, there's, there's some great ones that we'll mention in the runners-up that some of the readers might uh, – listeners might write in with. Um, but mine are all sexual escapades gone wrong, and The Shining definitely qualifies. It marked me as a kid. Um, you got to be nuts to even get a hard on in that room at all, no matter how hot the chick is. Because I don't that, even remember the chick being that hot. Well, like, there, it wasn't. It wasn't less so, hot. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and green, but um, you know. Yeah, so that's my number three pick as well as The Shining. Dingus, what's your Cooper's number? Never hot. Pardon? Like the chick in uh, Clockwork Orange, who's supposed to like tempt Alex, like she's not that guy. And the Eyes Wide Shut chicks aren't that guy. Nicole Kidman is, but. I'm not sure what you're saying. What are you? Uh, you're losing me there. I'm saying the hottest chick in any Kubert movie is the Misohani chick from Full Metal Jacket. Um, not one of those apes in 2001. <laughs> Dingus, what is your number two favorite uh, terrible thing to happen in a hotel room in a the monolith? Flaccid. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here's a, a quote from it. Uh, so now I'm at the place, at the place we talked about, Suite 246, and I'm here. Everything is all set, ah. so I hope you get here soon. Sexual escapade gone wrong. Things yep. stealing all of mine. Yeah, it's a good one. Really? Did you pick that? What is it? It's election. Yeah. Oh, no. What? <laughs> <laughs> but that is a good one. I do love this one. Uh, so I love this Skip because... Nothing. 
Because it's just so terrible. What would you say, Carol- Kelly? I said, washing your balls for nothing. Oh, I love that. I love that moment where he's washing his balls. I've never seen that in a movie. Yeah. Oh, he goes in there. It's so With pathetic. a bee sting. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, so, yeah, well, he, he hasn't, you know. The, he, he has it worse yet. than Willie Macy does, even. He hasn't right. had the bee sting yet by the time when uh, he's washing his balls. Uh, but I love that. That Oh, it's just so terrible that um, he set up this whole – so this whole – Sad motel. He he. First of all, this is the whole idea that he does this during one class period. He runs to Walgreens to get champagne and a flower that he puts in a book that he puts in the drawer that he will be able to read a poem to her. And he washes his balls. He puts the champagne on ice, filling that sad little motel bathroom sink. It's called the um, the Family Inn Motel, um, and uh, and really? then he runs. Yeah, it's called the Family it's Inn Motel. Fair. He runs back to class. It gets there just in time to tell the kids they're done with their test. And then he goes back there and he waits for her and he calls and he's like, I'm at the place that we all, that we, you know, that we said we were going to be at. And he's so excited. He's so, I mean, it's this clandestine thing he's going to have with the, an affair with his, his wife's friend, their, their family friends. And, uh, and then this sad sort of, March home afterward. Uh, I, I, and that moment, and I'm so glad that you brought it up, Kelly, where he's washing his balls before he runs back. And he's just going to be running around for the rest of the day, and they're just going to get sweaty again. I don't know what his problem is. But I love that sort of like he's been at school all day, and he's washing his balls. It's just so sad. It's it's this so terrible. Like, motel, he set up the motel room, and he's not going to get anything that he wanted. I remember thinking, watching the ball washing, thinking, why isn't there a device that makes that easier? And maybe there it's is. just the bidet. No, no, it's on it's on golf courses. <sighs> why would they put it there and not in a hotel room? Because yeah, that's where most balls are. Kelly, First off, I see. Yes. That person is my manservant, all right? And he's not, he has other duties. Dude, Irish pregnancies. The golf course has to contend with it. What were you, what were you saying, Tom? Oh, you Kelly, what is your number two most terrible thing to happen in a hotel room in a movie? Did you – okay. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you – did you get to the part of the grudge? Um, no. <laughs> there's a part in a hotel, I think. It's sort of an apartment building. Is that like – that's like a hotel. Just a Not lot. at all. Not at all. I will flash Same my thing. badge. They have numbers on the, on the doors. Nope. The difference, the whole point of a hotel is it's a transient location. I hate, I hate traveling because I hate staying in hotels. If I was traveling I like and I was going to stay with friends, that would be fine. I hate hotels. Wait. I hate how impermanent they are, how everything there says you don't belong here. You're not going to be here tomorrow. You weren't here yesterday. No, it's stuff you don't have to clean up. But so, so anyway, that's an apartment is not the same at all. So I will, Kelly Wand, pull this car over. I will throw you on the hood. I will spread your legs. Yeah. I'll search you for. Should we go into a hotel weapons. for this first? <laughs> I mean, an apartment. And building? then I will take you downtown, and I will book you. I will throw the book at you, Kelly Wand. Um, so, what is your number two <laughs> terrible thing that happens not in an apartment building, but in a hotel or a motel? Uh, okay, in fourteen oh eight. Okay, I think you're I think you're on the right path. There. Wait a minute, is that an apartment or a hotel? That's a hotel. Okay, I haven't seen it. <sighs> Isn't that Stephen King thing? Yeah. Okay, go ahead. But it's a me. short story, so it's like The Hobbit, where the source material is like two seconds, and I the see. movie's like ten hours, right? Verbatim. But um, 
1408, Sam Jackson is trying to, like, warn John Cusack, who's, like, Whitley Stryber, like, not to stay in. Oh, my God. (laughs) Wow. And he goes, he tells him that at one point, he tells him there's, like, 42 deaths in the room, and one of them, one time a maid got locked in the bathroom for a couple seconds, and she gouged out her eyes with scissors. So it's not in the movie, but I thought... That happened in the hotel. That happened. Right. That would be the lamest thing because right. it's like even a couple seconds in the bathroom. We've all been there. Uh, I was trying to sell Dingus on this. I'm not sure he believed me. There's a movie that came out called Grand Piano. It's on Netflix now, where John Cusack plays the villain. Are you on board with that, Kelly Wand? Uh, is it a World War II thing? No, it is. It's a very Hitchcockian thing about uh, Elijah Wood is a concert pianist who. During the course of a comeback performance that he's giving, um, shut up, Dingus. It's important. Someone gives him an earpiece, and he puts the earpiece in, and the earpiece is John Cusack talking to him, saying, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna kill your wife, who's watching this uh, concert right now, unless you do exactly what oh, I so tell it's you." So it's like phone booth. Yeah, it's exactly like phone booth, and it's about how Elijah Wood has to uh, contend with this, the voice of John Cusack, who appears in the movie later. Um, uh, who's got a sniper rifle trained on? Taps into our Laser. fears of John Cusack. Fear, fears of performance, uh, performing concert piano playing. But Joan Cusack was kind of scary in Arlington Road. That she was, Kelly Wand. She I, had the weird, creepy smile. Absolutely. Very good. All right, my number two pick for a terrible thing to happen in a hotel room is In Your Friends and Neighbors, Ben Stiller's terrible seduction of Amy Brenneman falls apart uh when ah, it's a good one i love that it's it's very much like dingus's election valentine one yeah um, and it's a, the, the you know your friends and neighbors is almost every bit as cruel as election but it doesn't have any children to mess with it's all about adults um yeah he takes her to the same suite that <laughs> children uh that he and he later by the way uh tells um Who's Harvey Dent? Ted Gummit? Uh, Aaron Eckhart. Aaron Eckhart. Tells Aaron Eckhart <laughs> to take her to the same place. <laughs> and he takes her to the same place. Uh, so that, that particular hotel room makes a couple of... Then she hassles him about it. Like, really the same place. Right. It's like, well, look, I was upset. Like, right. he tries to talk his way out of it. Yep. And it's, it's a pretty... terrible hotel room. Yeah. That's my favorite LeBute movie, maybe. Oh, well, they don't get... Except for Wicker Yeah. Kelly, one, have you seen your Velvet or Some Velvet Monday? No, I've seen a few bars. You should. <sighs> Wait, Some Velvet Monday? Some Velvet Monday. It's Stanley Tucci and Alice Eve. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. You told me to see it. Yep. Morning. No, I haven't seen it. Some Velvet Morning. Oh, did I say it? What did I call it? Some Velvet, velvet Evening. You said Monday. I think it, I haven't seen velvet. it. I thought it was something about a Monday. Oh, well, I could be some wrong. Some Velvet right? Morning is probably right. Yeah. Some Velvet Morning is right. Uh, my intern is telling me now that it is called Some Velvet Morning. All right. But, yeah, no, you can't beat your friends and neighbors. I mean, how can you how can you top that, Kelly Wand? Is it me? Neil LeBute. Exactly. Exactly. Have there ever been three words that more encapsulate the human condition than those written by Tell Neil LeBute? I'll say. <laughs> they came together. <laughs> Dingus, give yes, me your number it. one worst thing to ever happen in a hotel room. All right, well, this is this one is uh, is far less conceptual. This is just uh, anyway. Uh, here's a quote from it. Uh, now you just got a little boy's father killed, and you almost got us killed. 
and now you're lying to me. So how about this? From now on, every word out of your mouth is the truth. I'm going to hurt you. Do you understand? I kind of feel like that's Philip Seymour Hoffman in the Mission Impossible movie that he was in, but I don't think that's correct. It's not. It's from Drive, and it's the moment where oh, yeah. uh, where Blanche gets her head blown off yeah. in the bathroom of the uh, motel room. That's a great one, Dingus. Um, but I didn't want to use just like moments of violence because there's so many of those, but I couldn't get away from this. And I watched this movie again this week, and I watched so I lead up this scene, and I, I I just can't figure out where Christina Hendricks character comes from i mean she just shows up in the park where that guy like writes fuck you on his hand and and she just shows up out and then she's outside the pawn shop and then she leads them to that hotel that motel room and i love the way that motel room plays out but that moment where that dude shows up and it's slow motion and the way they show her head just like it's just oh it's so terrible no no punches are pulled there yeah so drive is my I'll next. say. Yeah. Kelly Wan, what do you have to top that? Uh, in California Suite, Bill Cosby and Richard Pryor get in a fight with towels. Like snapping them and everything? Yeah, and tennis rackets and a TV. Who I wins? Uh, Cosby slightly, but he's the PE teacher. And uh, Richard Pryor's kind of... I'll try to give you guys a line. Them. This isn't a word-for-word line. It's just the best I can remember. It's just two guys in their bathing suits giving each other a hug. Um, Speed 2? Maybe Kelly hasn't seen it. Dingus, do you know what this is? I don't. I'm pretty... Oh, uh, uh, Eastern Promises. No, it's a Lynn Shelton movie called Hump Day. Eastern Promises? Oh, I see it. Oh, Hump Day! Wait, what's terrible about that? That's lovely. Oh my god, are you serious? What's terrible Oh, they're so close to each other. Oh my god, it's just so just awkward and weird, and are we really going to watch what we think we're going to watch? I know, yeah. That's what they go through. I know, I know, and they put us, the audience, through it. Like, it's this, it's this... That's how we feel every week. That's a great one, Tom, because there's no flinching from that. Yeah, yeah. So Hump Day is a movie about um, two buddies who kind of on a... A A survivor of Blair Witch, and... (laughs) Well, Joshua Leonard and Mark Mark J. Duplass. Why do I keep calling him his brother? Mark, it's Mark. Mark Duplass and Joshua Leonard are, are buddies who've been out of touch for a while, and... By basically preying on each other's sort of insecurities, they get this idea that they're going to make a gay porno film together. And they're not gay. It doesn't matter. They're just going to do it as an art project. As a and dare. the end of the movie, it's not even really a dare. It's, well, they're drunk. It's going to be an art project. Yeah, it's and not, nobody yeah you're it. right. You're right not to call it a dare. That's a – yeah. Yeah, because it's not bluster. It's they really have these this sort of altruistic reason to do it. But it is – Neither of them is going to back off of it. It is guy brag. Like, girls don't do that. They just do it. You know what I'm saying? I don't know what you're telling me. <laughs> I don't either. I'm saying guys would go, hey, man, I'll do, I'll do a gay porn. Oh, you do it? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Like, it's it's kind of like you egg each other on, even though neither of you really... Have you seen the movie? Yeah. Yeah, so it's it's because one of them has this buttoned-up life, and the other one uh, has been away from his friend for a long time and wants to reconnect, and is having a hard time making that connection. It's not bluster. It's not one of But it's a gradual... They kind of talk each other into it, and they talk each other out of it, too. Kind of. Sort of. Well, let's... People can see the movie and see yeah. where it goes, but uh, the the thing is, it goes to the hotel room with the camera set up and with them working out the logistics of, hey, we're two straight dudes... Uh, how are we going to have sex with each other? Right. Let's figure this out. 
And oh, it is it is, it is hilariously uncomfortable and sincere, and both of them are so good. And Lynn Shelton, you know, she's been, I think, compared to French farce in a, in a good way, uh, and she sees this through. Uh, and I just love that hotel scene in Hump Day at the end. Ah, oh, damn, Tom, that's great. Ah, shit. I'm just saying when girls go, hey, let's make a gay porno, they don't dick around for a whole movie about it. Like, only guys do that. No, they don't. don't they, guys they, dro- do they drop it the next morning is what they do. They're like, that was stupid. All right, yeah. let's move on. But the guys are like, hey, did you? Yeah, I'm okay. Let's play basketball. All right, we're going right. to do it. Right. Let's do it. <laughs> All right. But it's that same impulse. Oh, but I love that scene. It's so un- – oh, man, that's awesome. And there's that line, too, about where they're trying to hug each other. They strip down to their briefs, and they're hugging their yeah. briefs, and they're like, it's just two guys who haven't seen each other in a while at the pool, and we're in our swim trunks. You know, they're trying to rationalize why this shouldn't feel weird. Um, but then they go – they're trying to rationalize, is this even going to feel good? Right? No, it's like who can no. perform. I mean, it's yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know what? I don't remember the end. Maybe you should see the movie. Too busy. <laughs> Maybe himself. you should. Oh, Jesus! Oh, damn, Tom. Awesome. That's that's a great choice. That's that's perfect. That's... Kelly, one. Speaking what of choices, yourself. Uh, would you? Oh no, Dingus. Would you? Uh, what do we have from the the listeners this week? Would you read those for us? All right. So first, we have Grant Stewart. Good topic. Here we go. Uh, number three, seven. Although it occurs off-screen, the aftermath of a guy having been forced to have sex with a lady of negotiable moral... So wait a minute, that was a hotel then? No, it wasn't. It was in a... a So I'm I'm issuing Grant Stewart a citation right now. (sighs) All right, well, if if I'm wrong, I'm wrong, but I think it was a sex club. I think they went down into a sex club. But Grant Stewart, uh, if you're right, I apologize. I bet Grant Stewart didn't think that we would have already discussed that scene uh, in the main podcast. Right. Uh, number two, Terminator. Uh, might seem <laughs> relatively innocent, but while Sarah Connor and Kyle Reese are galvanizing themselves in a Motel 6 type place for a battle against the Terminator she calls her mother, despite explicitly being told not to, when Arnie answers and responds in her mother's voice, it is clear she has been killed. We never see Sarah Connor confront this, so when the film ends, she is still to find out what happened. And we'll never, never know that she was talking to a 300-pound biomechanical merchant of death from the future and not her mom. Creeped me out when I was... Unless her mom is also one. Yeah. And number one for Grant Stewart is the paperboy. Oh, my gosh. Wow. We don't hear that. This might be the first occurrence of the paperboy on this podcast. I don't even know what that is. It's an Adam Sandler thing, isn't it? I don't know. (laughs) No, 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 that's... uh... That's the water boy. Oh. (laughs) Okay. Paper water. Uh, paper boy, uh, probably the most harrowing, quote, coming out, unquote, I've ever seen on screen. Zach Efron. Oh, no, I've heard of this. I, I, I think I want to see it. Go on. Did you do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you need He's to, my favorite Sandler. Do you need to plug your ears? No, no. All right, Zach Efron. Is Kidman in it? Go on. Uh, I don't see her. That's uh, 17 again. Finds his brother, played by Matthew McConaughey. Wow. In a motel room, bound and being beaten, really severely beaten, by a couple of young black men. At first, we assume, as he does, that this beating is a warning to stop investigating a local death row inmate. It turns out that McConaughey is a homosexual, masochistic deviant, and he has paid them to do this just because he's secretly into that kind of shit. Aren't we all? 
Yeah, the the reason I wanted to see this is because it is McConaughey, uh, Nicole Kidman. Um, it's directed by Lee Daniels, though. Oh, the Which, butler Lee Daniels? The butler and Precious, and uh, it just... Isn't this know. where, like, somebody pees on somebody? What? That's holy smoke. I thought the thing about the paper boy is somebody pees on somebody. Anyway. I just like movies about newspaper. So Grant Stewart says, toodaloo, gentlemen. So, Tom, you want to see this movie? I do, yes. Yeah. Based on the pee thing? No, I've been told, I've just heard, it's the things I've heard enough about that it has been sort of nudged into the little corner of my brain that I should see this at some point. Um, hmm. Nudging has taken place. Yeah. <laughs> okay. uh, next, we have Paul Weimer. Uh, hi guys. Terrible things that happen in hotel rooms. I could tell you some personal stories, but I'll just stick with my movie picks. Thank you, Paul. I did. Uh, to be fair, I may not have specified, so thanks, Paul. <laughs> That's a good point. Uh, number three. Oh, yeah, I forgot this movie. Good job, Paul. Uh, number three, In Identity. John Cusack's huh. Ed Dakota. Oh, yeah. Not a real hotel. It's his mind. <laughs> and a cast of unlikely characters, including Clea Duvall. Clea Duvall, that's right. Yep. Uh, uh, become trapped within a desert motel cut off by floods, unable to leave, and strangely unable to contact the outside world. And then the characters start being killed off. Drive on. Number two, uh, Paul Weimer again. It's an evil bleeping room. Mike Enslin, John Cusack again. Nightmare stay in the titular room in 1408. What did the digits add up to? <laughs> Hold on. Zero, zero plus eight. Uh, it's uh, 14. It's, no, uh, no, I, I see 140 plus 8 is 140. <laughs> is, is 1408 good, Kelly Wand? Uh, it's kind of like The Guest. It sort of jumps the shark. <laughs> well, it's, well, if you say it's kind of like The Guest, you were calling The Guest effing awesome. Okay, yeah, I think it's, then it's not like jump, that. It doesn't jump the shark. It sort of like nudges me. I think the story is good, and it kind of gave me the heebie-jeebies. Okay. Because it's like the menus in different languages, which was scary to me, stoned. Kelly One is terrible at selling horror movies. Wow. It's, so, about, a, it's about a hotel room. All right. Well, Paul, Paul continues to say, uh, trapping the protagonist, torturing him physically, psychologically, and otherwise, giving him a no exit, and then offering suicide as a way to end the torture. Zero stars on Travelocity. <laughs> So, Paul, what? What's beside um, physical and psychological? Emotional. Oh, that's not psychological? Nope. Okay, cool. Sexual? Religious. Wait. Political? They didn't torture him politically. Religious torture is different. Technical. Technical torture. Everything else. Motel. Um, Paul Weimer's number one. Everyone will pick it, so I will too. Janet Lee's Marlon Crane comes to a horrid end in the shower oh, at yeah. the end of Norman Bates' knife in his motel in Psycho. I saw her embezzlement is more of a terrible thing for the company. <laughs> um, best alien. cards. And thanks again. You bring a smile to my face every Tilda Tuesday. Mm. Is he talking about Janet Lee? Yep. Thank you, Paul. Uh, next we have Jaime Cabrera. Hello, everyone. Let's get into it. Number three, The Mummy. <laughs> what? Wow. Look forward to hearing where this goes. Huh. <laughs> Is it eyes? Takes the eyes out. I have no idea where he's going. All right, Jaime. Take us, take us where you're going, buddy. All right. Uh, continue with Jaime now. 
The last of the Americans who are being devoured by Imhotep so he can absorb their organs is hiding out in a hotel. He is in his suite when Imhotep arrives with Benny to finish the job. What makes it terrible to me is not just the fact the guy is missing his eyes and his tongue and gets killed by a sand vortex, but that he spills his drink when trying to take a sip. That little touch (laughs) always creeped me out. (laughs) Hey, man, there's a beverage here. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. That's not Egyptian, Tom. Stop pretending otherwise. You guys remember? I have no idea what he's talking about. I, yeah, I haven't seen the Mummy in forever. Unless it's got Dwayne uh, Johnson, and I'm not going to watch one of those sand. It's like Face Off, but CG. That scene, if that helps at all, give you a mental picture of it, or a physical, a technical picture of it. Hi, <laughs> right. Jaime's second choice: the Born Supremacy. <laughs> oh, wait a minute! Hold on. I'm, I'm afraid he's going to go into an apartment. Go on, Jaime. Uh-oh. All right. Jason oh, no, no. Never mind. Go ahead. <laughs> Jason, discovers, Jason discovers that he has performed a hit in a hotel room. He ended up having to kill the wife of his target as well and make it look like a murder-suicide when she showed up unexpectedly. Not terrible when compared with the other terrible things in hotel rooms, but it was terrible to him, and I love how it affects him in his continuing journey to redeem himself. Ah, redemption. The what do you think he was going for, Tom? Uh, one of the fights, like uh, in um, in an oh, apartment in magazine. Oh, like the toaster thing. Yeah. Yeah, I think I was worried he was going to do that. Uh, but I forgot that whole construction of him having to check into the hotel where he had performed the initial hit. You remember that? I do. Yes. That so that definitely qualifies. Yeah. Jaime, you're okay so far. All right. Well done, Jaime. No and Jaime, your number one, immortal beloved. What? That Beethoven thing? Did they have hotels back then? I don't think so. No, okay. there was no building. There was there this was would have no been yeah, this would have been an inn or a tavern. Yeah. Probably. They didn't have music even during his era. He puts um all cap spoiler alert here. At the end of the movie, he's about to tell the end of the movie. Beethoven if, goes deaf. If it's a historical drama, it, you can't spoil it because it already happened. At the end of the film, it is revealed that the entire tone of the story has been set by Beethoven, just missing his immortal beloved in a hotel where they were supposed to meet. Get it, Tone? Not an original idea in films, but I was still in my late teens when I saw this the first time, and it worked for me. It was very powerful and terrible for such sorrowful to result from one single event. And, by the way, a metaphor for hotels. Wait, so Salieri, was it a different hotel? Not Beethoven. Gee, really? <laughs> so he has two runners-up. Uh, I, I, Tom has constantly asked us to see this, and I feel terrible that we haven't. He mentions Hit and Run. Uh, oh, does he say the scene? Yeah. Um, Dak Shepard and Kristen Bell are traveling, unaware that Bradley Cooper, a character from Dak Shepard's Shade Past, <laughs> Is trying to find them. They check into a roadside motel and are given the key to a room that is already occupied by terribly elderly, terribly naked people. <laughs> oh my god! I didn't need to remember that. Oh, Jaime. <laughs> <laughs> they leave, but when Bradley Cooper catches up to them, the motel clerk, clerk makes the same mistake and he and his henchmen burst into the same room with their guns drawn, only to find the same naked elderly people in exactly the same spots in the room. Shudder. Uh. Thanks for reminding me how much I liked that movie. And prunes. 
<laughs> and finally, uh, Jaime says Titanic. Thanks Ugh. to the 3 by 3 police flying cruise ships. I believe that happened. I am submitting this entire movie as something terrible. Floating hotel. <laughs> because the movie was terrible, and I will never get this three hours back. Jaime Cabrera! Woo! Uh, fair She's enough. Hit, got hit and run in there, so I'll let him have Titanic. It wasn't terrible for the ice. <laughs> the ice is always the That was a great, yeah, it was, the best, it was Christmas for the iceberg. So next we have Arthur Joven, Joven and Jolly. No expert. A number three, Cloud Atlas. Oh! Rufus Sixsmith gets shot in the head by Bill Smoke while waiting to meet Louisa Ray in his hotel room. Oh my god, what What are those words that he I just know. wrote? I don't know what any it's of that It's so weird when they think we remember the names of characters. <laughs> I'm the only one who loved that movie, so I'm very pleased with this, Arthur. Thank you. Uh, Sixsmith is the only character to appear in multiple storylines, and his end is rather shocking. The old dude from the 70s? Tom Hanks? Who goes off the roof? Uh, oh, number two. All right. Yeah, this is good. All right. Uh, number two, No Country for Old Men. Yeah. Uh, Javier. Well, we don't see. Well, go ahead. Go ahead. What were you going to say, Tom? Oh, well, we don't see uh, what happens in the hotel room. Exactly, yeah. Uh, Javier Bardem tracks Josh Brolin to a hotel, but instead encounters a group of Mexican bounty hunters and promptly kills them. Watching Bardem's preparations for oh. this shootout is great. We see him slowly walking up to the door without his shoes, use a captive bolt pistol to break in, and effectively dispatch the rival bounty hunters. His final kill of the man in the shower is particularly chilling. Because the guy has nowhere to go, and he knows he's screwed. Yeah, it's that moment like, you know, you're in the shower, what are you going to... Yeah, yeah, it's terrible. I thought he meant what happens to Josh Brolin. Like Josh Brolin's fate, we don't actually see. But yeah, that that, uh, Javier Bardem basically claiming the bounty from those Mexicans is pretty chilling. Or Tommy Lee Jones realizing you can't do it anymore because it's inside the hotel room. Is that what you're talking about? Oh, that's a good point, Kelly. Well, yeah, there's you know there's some questions about what does that scene mean. Does it mean he realizes he can't do it anymore or that he's helpless? Is Javier Bardem actually there in the hotel? I don't think so. I mean, I think that scene, like you're saying, Kelly Wan, yeah, I think it's more a psychological realization. Um so, yeah, I, said I, that. I, would, I would take that. Yeah. Oh. Alright. Yeah, that's what I meant, though. Yeah. But realizing that he can't do it anymore, or. We've all been there. It, it's just. I don't it's, think that... it's one of those profoundly Cohen. But like I said, it wouldn't be a Cohen Brothers movie without something awful happening in a hotel. It's it's this sort of crisis of faith, I guess you could say. That's I don't their... think it's that he can't do it anymore. I think it's a realization about the world he lives in. Right, right. That he can't. L- live here. It's no country for old men. It's This this world has rejected him. In a way. It's weird. There's and also a, the hotel <laughs> where um, everybody dies. Not the Mexicans, but um, that concierge and the light goes out. And the, oh, you know, where well, the con- only person who dies is the, the lock off, yeah. Yeah, the cat is fine. It's the concierge who I think gets killed. Right. And otherwise, they just, yeah, I don't think anyone else dies. But in the room, it's cool. So what is Arthur's number one pick? <laughs> Arthur's number one. Oh, holy cats. I can't believe we didn't even mention this. We haven't done our runners-up yet. All right, good point. I might so, uh, so Arthur's number one is Insomnia. And when he mentions Al Pacino, an obvious one comes to mind that I didn't think of. So uh, Insomnia, Al Pacino cannot sleep in his hotel room, and that has disastrous ramifications. The lighting and camera work are excellent in these scenes. They portray the light as an inescapable villain that cannot be combated by 
any means. While on the surface, these scenes are not as terrible as other hotel events, they skillfully communicate a relatable fear and have a devastating effect on Pacino and the people around him. Pacino himself is fantastic throughout this movie. His final scene in the hotel room with Mara Tierney is some of the best work he's ever done in a long and distinguished career. I wish Arthur... Uh, Arthur, you... I wish people would refer to Insomnia properly as the Stellan Skarsgård movie. Yeah. <laughs> you mean a Robin Williams movie? No, Robin Williams was in the, the remake with Al Pacino. It was originally a, a movie, Norwegian, I think, with Stellan Skarsgård uh, that, that Christopher Nolan remade. Yeah. And I love the original. Um, and maybe it's just having seen the original first, but I'm super partial to the original for several reasons. Yeah. The one where the guy can't remember who he is? That's amnesia. Insomnia is something else entirely, Kelly Wand. Just the, 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 the mood and the atmospherics in the original are inescapable. And, yeah. I mean, Christopher Nolan does some fine things. That log stuff is fine, but, uh, but it kind of kind of misses the point of that, that bleakness. Is it like Scarlett Johansson? Or who's the schoolgirl that, that uh, um, Al Pacino harasses? Kristen Stewart or someone? Okay. Ugh. Is it Kristen Stewart? Really? Ow. Someone like that. There's no way. That's ten years before she was part of our problem. Our national dialogue. <laughs> part of our problem. <laughs> All right, finally, we have somebody named Joey Bag of Donuts. Mm. So, Joey Bag of Donuts, he lists his in order of number one and then number two. Joey Bag of Donuts, his number one is, oh, okay, fine. This is the one I was thinking of. Uh, Scarface. Tony Montana goes on his first oh, drug buy. They try to rip him off and chainsaw his cohort. That all works out. Yeah. Joey Bag of Donuts number two is Joyride. Oh. Paul Walker, huh? I was thinking of this when I when I saw Hit and, when I saw Hit and Run. Uh, lots of bad things happening in motels with Paul Walker. Walker's responsible for somebody getting their jaw ripped off. When he plays a prank on a trucker. By the way, worst impression of a girl voice ever. <laughs> hey, Rusty Nail. <laughs> Dingus, you tried to do it. Very good. <laughs> you did uh, it better than Paul Walker. <laughs> I thought I was watching Tideland. Uh, I asked my wife, this is Joey Bag of Notes speaking, I asked my wife if she knew of any movie scenes where bad things happen in a motel room. She said, David Spade gets caught masturbating in Tommy Boy. <laughs> <laughs> Way to go, Mrs. Bag of Donuts. Very nice. And he's right terrible for the girl. Uh, Bleeds her heart. So yeah, there you go. And that's all. That's all our uh, listener submissions. Let me check the spam folder real quick. We got nothing. So uh, you gentlemen have any runners up? Uh, the serious man, like the crisis of fate that comes up with Uncle Arthur. Um, it actually leaves the hotel and goes out yeah. to the side of the pool. But Barton Fink, you know, discovering all, so much yeah. of Fink, discovering Judy Davis's body. I was almost going to ex- include that as an embarrassing sexual escapade, but it kind of escalated beyond the parameters of that I had set for my own topic. Uh, Tom, does is that a pass happen in a hotel room? Yes, it does. Very good, Dingus, from Man Who Wasn't There. Uh, John Polito's uh, suggestive line to Billy Bob Thornton. Uh, he gets called out on that, definitely in a hotel room. Um, Should have just said maybe, you know. Maybe. <laughs> and, uh, giving you a little suggestive waggle of my eyebrow. Uh, uh, running scared uh, begins with a, a deal gone bad in a hotel room. Oh, I forgot that. Yeah, super super stylishly shot by a uh, 
Wayne Knight? Is that his name? The director's name? Yeah, yeah. No, Wayne, Wayne Kramer. Wayne Kramer, yeah. Wayne Knight is from Seinfeld. And yeah, yeah, I don't want to make that mistake. <laughs> um, you reminded is... me of one this week. Yes. Uh, you reminded me of one from Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. <laughs> oh, right, right, exactly. The uh, Why don't you explain what it was, Dingus? Uh, peeing on the corpse. Yep. Happens in a hotel room. That's a pretty terrible thing. What? Oh, yeah. yeah. I think I need to see that movie again. If you like your Shane Black, yeah. Also, Fear and Loathing. Oh, my gosh. Kelly Wan. Jesus. Oh, holy cats. How could, we have, how could we have missed that? That's kind of the definitive terrible things yeah. happening in a hotel room movie, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Jesus. Whole movie. Good. Well, all right. Everybody do your lists over. Start over. <laughs> and doesn't uh, open water open in a motel room? Is that is there something? Yeah, that's, but yeah, they're but fine during that part. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's not that's really before things awesome. terrible start happening. <laughs> they say the hotel room, they would have been fine. Yeah. That's the whole problem with their agenda. All right, all right. So uh, there you go. Um, let's. Uh, so uh, those are our terrible things that have happened in a hotel room. Next week, we would like you to join us on the podcast for the Equalizer. Why are you going, ugh, come on, it's Anton Fuqua, uh, it's got Chloe Mortz Grace in it, it's ugh, Denzel Washington, for action in it. Mm. Um, come on, the equalizer, Kelly Wand. It looks long. At the very least, I imagine we're going to have a great synopsis. And, uh, before we go, actually, uh, I, uh, so on this podcast, I've always sort of felt that my, my, my own personal life didn't really have a place in terms of what we were discussing, unless it had to do with movies uh, or the discussions we were having. Um, and even then, whatever we were talking about, I've, I've been sort of guarded about bringing up personal issues, not out of any concern for privacy or anything like that. It's just kind of how I am. But what I need to do now is talk about something that is very personal. I don't consider it private, but it is personal. And it relates directly on the podcast and why I am not going to be able to do it for a while. Uh, I have stage four hypopharyngeal cancer. Now, that's saying a lot. Um, let me unpack some of that for you. Uh, the hypopharynx is the part in your head, behind your mouth, in your nose. Um, it goes from behind your nose, the nasopharynx, behind your mouth, the oropharynx, and if you keep going down lower, that's the hypopharynx. That eventually goes into the part of your system that splits stuff into your digestive tract or your respiratory system. Uh, it is rare that people get cancer in the hypopharynx. Uh, when you hear about throat cancer, it's normally in the oropharynx, in the mouth. Um, a lot of cancers, you can identify them by what celebrity had them. Michael Douglas had uh, oropharyngeal cancer. Um, Roger Ebert had salivary gland cancer. I have one that is relatively rare. And what that means is that there is less data about treating it, and that also implies that it that can mean it has a higher mortality rate. Um, now, when I say it is stage 4 hypopharyngeal cancer, um, I don't know if you know stages or not. Stages doesn't have anything to do with how dire it is, or uh, it just has to do with whether or not it has spread or metastasized to other systems. Uh, mine is stage four because it has indeed spread from my hypopharynx to several of my lymph nodes, and it's even around these things called the uh, arachnoids, 
which are the support structure for my larynx. And uh, I know some listeners have probably noticed that my voice has, has changed considerably over the last several months. Um, <clears throat> the good news about all of this is that so far the spread has been contained above my sternum. It's, it's not gone down into my lungs. Your lymph nodes are a, like a duct system throughout your body. It hasn't seemed to spread uh, through any other place in my body through my lymph nodes. Um, but that being said, I am not in a situation where I have the luxury of saying, we caught it early. You know, this is not one of those. I've known something was wrong with me for months and my body couldn't heal it. And in these several months, actually it's, it's been a year, uh, I have seen some of the best and worst of the healthcare system in the U.S. Um, it's been quite a ride, mostly a frightening one. But at this point, right now, I am absolutely, and this is crucially important that you understand this, I'm in a best-of situation where the system is working. A lot of competent, compassionate, communicative professionals are taking very, very good care of me. So I'm in treatment now. If you listen to this when we're recording it, um, it's currently uh, midnight on September 23rd, 2014. Uh, I've been getting radiation for a week, radiation treatment. I've had my first chemotherapy session. Um, and when you say that you're getting treatment for cancer, that can fall into one of several categories. Uh, for instance, you can treat cancer to comfort the patient, to contain the cancer to keep it from spreading, or to cure it. And uh, the goal of my treatment, it's been made clear to me, is to cure it. Not to comfort me, not to contain it, not to diminish it, but, but to cure it, to make it go away entirely. That is the intention of all of this, and the doctors have been very clear with me that that's what they intend to do. Now, different doctors, of course, have different attitudes about their optimism and about numbers they give you, but the one fellow who was most direct with me, he, he looked at me and he said, 80%, and he said it like it was a really great number, and I will gladly take that. So, that said, what does this have to do with the podcast? Well, as anybody who has had a disability or a severe illness will, will, will say to you, will tell you, I don't want this to define me. Uh, you know, I don't want to be the guy with cancer. But the, the fact of the matter is that for at least a few months, it will consume me. Uh, the treatment that I'm getting, the, the radiation therapy, will eventually mean it's going to be difficult for me to speak. Um, and not, not just the treatment, by the way, but the recovery from the treatment. At first, when I was told that this is going to be seven weeks of, of radiation therapy with concurrent chemotherapy, I, I sort of thought, seven weeks? I can take that. That's fine. That's, you know, that's as long as the crappy part of the summer movie season. I can do seven weeks. Bring it. But what I didn't realize at first, and i got to say, there's, there's so much you have to learn when you're dealing with this. If you think that building a new PC or buying a car is complicated. This has just been a, a huge learning process. But what I didn't realize at first is that the treatment is just the first part of the whole process. After the treatment, there's the recovery, which can take up to a few more months depending on how you react. Um, now, the chemo sucks. I can tell you that because I've already had one, but it passes. It's the radiation therapy that does the real damage. Uh, and even with the best-case outcome... I'm going to have to do a lot of healing before I can comfortably swallow or eat or speak. So rather than subject you guys to my increasingly raspy voice, um, this is uh, the last podcast.
that I'll be doing for a while. So the quarter to three movie podcast, at first it was about us. It was about me. It was about Christian Morosky and Kelly Wand. We just wanted to hang out for a bit every week and, and just make ourselves see some new movie. Good, bad, it didn't matter. We just loved seeing a new movie, and then we loved movies, and then hanging out and talking about them with each other. But over the course of five years, it's, it's going to be five years next month. That's amazing to me. Um, over the course of those five years, we've become increasingly aware of you. And many of you participate. Many of you write us these, these great notes, or you post comments, and you become part of the conversation. You know, we were just blown away by the support you guys gave us in this silly fundraiser we did last year. And it ended up with us having to watch a, a Tyler Perry movie. And I loved every minute of it. We all did. It was an absolute delight to get so much support from you guys. I, I love it. And I know that Christian and Kelly do too when people answer a question that we raise or they correct some minor thing that we said. Or they, they clarify something that we were confused about. I really love that level of interactivity, partly because it's always surprising to be reminded that, hey, people listen to this. But mainly, mainly I love that level of interactivity because it drives home the point that we are all just a bunch of guys talking about movies because we love them. And you, you're the same way. You love them too. You have things to say about them. And this whole thing, this whole podcast thing, it's all at its best when we're all saying them to each other. This podcast is going to continue. Now, at first, the three of us figured that if any one of us ever couldn't make it, we just wouldn't bother recording. And, you know, we've fretted about that, like, oh, maybe one week I've got to move or somebody's out of town. And, you know, did the two of us do the podcast? No, of course not. We would just wait until all three of us could gather I think we've maybe missed two or three tops in five years because it just didn't seem right, first of all, to not record, but second of all, to not record with all three of us. But over the last five years, you guys happened. So it is your fault now that Kelly and Christian are going to be a duo for a while. You have no one to blame but yourselves. Uh, they'll be back next week to talk about the equalizer. We won't be doing three-by-threes. That would make no sense. You can't have a Three by two, uh, that's, that's nothing. That's not even a thing. A two by three is a plank, but that's, yeah, that wouldn't even work. So we're not going to be doing lists. Um, we'll see what form it takes. Um, and also, it's important that you know, I'm not going anywhere. You know, I'm going to be writing for the front page. You can reach me in the comments section. You can reach me on the forum. You can email me. Email me at tomchick at quarter to three dot com. And you know what? While I'm doing these shameless plugs, uh, like us on Facebook, you slackers. We have a page on Facebook, quarter to three. Go there and, and like us. That's easy. Uh, rate us on iTunes. It's more of a hassle, I realize. I wouldn't begin to know how to rate a podcast on iTunes. But if you know how to do it, rate us. Uh, follow me on Twitter at QT3, the letter Q, the letter T, the number three. Uh, it's just me talking about games and movie stuff. It's not going to be any boring, like, cancer, blah, 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 things like that. Um, everything's going to be the same there. I should warn you, I might tweet pictures of my cat. That's been known to happen. Ugh. I know, I know. Sorry. But most importantly, you guys listening, come back here next week. Because even though I won't be here talking, I will be here. I'll be here with you as one of you, as a listener. And now I get to see what it's like from where you're sitting. And I'm kind of looking forward to that.
kind of. But mostly, well, mostly I'm looking forward to getting back here just as soon as I can. Flash can speed talk, Paul. I mean, 